Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionizing the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non-alcoholic beverages that are sugar-free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the studio, I'm joined once again by Ben Schiller. Hey, Ben. Hey, Hey Danny. everyone. How are you going? Good, thank you. Thanks so much for coming back in. You're an absolute legend. How's the studies going? Yeah, loving it. And you've gone off on your own now, doing your own private practice. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I finished up at the treatment centre, Byron Private Treatment Centre I was working at and in private practice now, which is great. Loving it. Oh, that's so fantastic. So thanks for coming in today, Ben. I've put out a few days ago asking people any questions to hit you up with. So I've got a few questions here. I did quite a few, but I'm going to whittle them down a little if we can because of time. But the first one I wanted to ask you about, this one's from Georgie. And also I've had this question a few times and I've even got it for myself. It's about the drunk dreams. When you have the dreams that you've, like I had one not that long ago. I had them all early on, but I do get them occasionally where I'm smashed in my dreams and then I wake up like, oh my fucking God. And I have that same feeling of dread and like, oh my God. But then it's like, thank God it's just a dream. Why do we have those dreams? Oh, it's such a good question. It's so common. Um, I have them myself. And um, certainly the recovery circles that I spend time in, people report waking up absolutely frightened out of their skin and uh, they've been using, yeah, or or they've been drinking. And yeah, it's really unsettling, really unsettling. And for me, it's 
the why, you know, like I'm not, I'm certainly not a dream analyst. It's not my forte. What I do know is quite often, you know, and this links back to Jungian theory, uh, what's going on in our dreams quite often is is our unconscious is presenting. And what I mean by that is stuff that's not in our conscious mind uh, comes to the surface and plays out in our dreams. And quite often, the good thing, even though they're unsettling those dreams, the good thing about them is they remind us of what it's like. And and I think the key for us is 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 when we have those dreams is is not necessarily to be too panicked about the fact that we've had them, but is to rely on the response you have emotionally from the dreams, and which which is one of dread which is one of fear, which is one of sort of shock and discomfort and probably shame. Uh, for me, they serve as a f- fantastic reminder of, okay, so if I step back into drinking again, that's how I'm going to feel. Going back to your question, like what, the why, why do we have them? And I, I don't actually know. If, if we were to follow the path of, of that sort of unconscious theory that, that our unconscious is presenting in our dreams, then that makes sense, you know? Like even though we're doing, we're living a fuller life, we're doing a lot, more for ourselves uh, on a recovery front and we're more connected with ourselves uh, our relationships are invariably better um, there's plenty of positives that, that come as a result of uh, not drinking our unconscious underneath the surface is still going oh shit what would it look like you know like and um, and I, I quite like that that theory I love that that's a great thing to use it as a tool because I know when I've had the dreams I have that feeling of the exact, it's like the identical feeling that I've had that I used to have when I'd wake up with anxiety and that, that shame feeling that you talk about. And I do always feel a relief, but I think that's great. Like if you're having those dreams, yeah, just focusing on that. That's where I don't want to be. I don't want to go back there. Yeah. It's a good yep. reminder. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I think the anxiety and the shame is ultimately that, that your recovery self going, I don't want to go back there, you know, and, and that's mm. a positive thing. So, yeah, so you don't yeah. need to panic if you're having the dreams. It's not like, oh, my God, this means I'm going to have a relapse or anything like that. Yeah, just to, as, as you say, pick it up, use it as a tool. Go, all right, if, if I pick up, that's what it's going to look like. That's how I'm going to feel. And that's, yeah. that's not cool. That's not good. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for that. Another one, this is a, a big question. This one came from Tanya. Um, and her husband passed recently really unexpectedly. And she had been going quite well with the not drinking. And I think now she's obviously drinking again, commiserating with family and friends. And she just, I know this is a big question, so answer this as best as you can, but she wanted some tips on dealing with grief and trying to stay sober. Yeah. Um, oh, my heart goes out to you, Tanya. That's, that's big. And, and to anyone that, that has lost someone. And uh, look, it's, it is a big question. I think the primary purpose or the, or the primary function of alcohol consumption in, in this case is usually to try and numb the feelings a bit you know it's probably also partly connection with family like if if other family members are getting together and they're drinking you know like it's probably a little bit a part of that as well and that's okay one thing that I think is important particularly in Tanya's case is probably not to dive into shame you wouldn't want to pile your shame on top of your grief it's understandable that someone's going to turn you know I, I don't advocate it at all 
but it's understandable if someone goes to term uh, to, to something to help soothe the discomfort. My sense, though, if Tanya's asking this question, is she's probably you're probably wanting to step out of it, you know, step out of the drinking, which is fantastic. Look, I'd, usually if I'm treating someone and we're having this discussion, what I would say is what, what would your partner want? You know, like what, how would you like to say goodbye to your partner? Because the grieving process uh, is a long one and I think it's good to – and there's stages of grief, uh, multiple stages of grief and, and you don't move from one phase into the next and the other – the previous phase is gone. It's, it's quite cyclical and, and I think it's important just to sort of sit back and – and have a think about okay how how would how would how would he or she want me to be want me to process this grief and and I think that's a beautiful way to honor the other person I think it's a beautiful way to honor your own emotions with within the grief cycle that would be my starting point after that I would then set about uh, you know like like I would with anyone trying to pull back from from drinking set about a really solid routine and uh, to in, in order to get off the booze to start off with, and that includes activity, connection with yourself, being in nature, connection with other people that are trying to do the same thing if you need that, like your group's Danny on how I quit alcohol, and more or less treating the alcohol consumption you know, on its own. Once you do that, I would then move across to starting to process your grief, and you know, and that that in itself is a whole other story like there's there's um, I, I can't recall off the top of my head I think there's eight stages of grief uh, seven or eight and I think it's important to go and see someone that can help you with that process there's definitely some brilliant literature um, that's available in bookshops but the, for me the first thing to do is really to address the drinking and and put that aside to then move on and I guess start the process and yeah because the part of me thinks you don't want it, like you're saying, you don't want to add to that feeling of grief and I think it makes it worse. But then you can't really, we can't sit here in judgment and say, well, you shouldn't be drinking right now because, you know, it's you have to get through it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Look, it's people... Whilst not advocating drinking. But, no, yeah. people do what they they, they need, need to, to do. do. Yeah, and, and I respect that. And yeah. one thing is definite that when we numb our feelings, and this is not just grief, whether it's with alcohol or obsession with sport or workaholism, we're delaying the feeling of those emotions. So whilst, whilst it might be effective initially to, to help soothe your emotions, you're ultimately delaying your grief process and you're protecting it, you're drawing it out. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and if you're anything like me, I don't like to draw out my pain. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty important to get, get started, you know, yeah. like it's important to start honouring our pain and, you know, and coming up with a strategy for stepping through yeah. it. Anyone that needs anything that needs numbing or anyone that needs numbing is because there's a pain there. So I guess addressing the pain first and foremost and sitting with it and honouring the pain, like you're saying, and not making anything wrong, but just to sit with it and, and hold it and yeah. be gentle with it. Yeah, and that's a beautiful way to put it, like be gentle with it. Mm. And, you know, like and it's not just someone passing people when long-term relationships end. There's There's a extensive grief process that happens there and I've certainly treated that and I've had that myself and uh, with the end of my relationship and I just it's really vital that you get help you know like and 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 that help doesn't have to necessarily be a therapist but um, you get help from either professionals or, or professionals and friends and 
people going through the same thing, you know, like there are groups for people that are dealing with the loss of a loved one. Yeah. I know I felt uh, recently, um, most people know on the podcast with my, my dad who's, who's dying of lung cancer and it came back recently and he doesn't have long left so he's now in palliative care. I'm actually flying down there today to see him. But when I first found out that it had spread to his brain and his liver and that it wasn't long because he'd been going so well to his, he'd been in remission, an extended remission for a long time and the grief was so, was quite big. But what I, I know this sounds weird, but I almost enjoyed the process of really processing the feelings. And I know that I felt at times like I didn't want to drink, but I wanted to kind of sleep at times. I wish I could just sleep through it. But, of course, you know, I didn't, I just tried, did my best to just sit with it and, and cry when I needed to and curl up in a ball when I needed to, to sit and honor it and just really process and feel it. And um, I've, I really feel like I've let it settle in my nervous system now and I'm sure it's still going to come up again at the time when he does pass, but I just feel a lot more accepting of it. You know, I've got an acceptance with it. Yeah, and no, that's a beautiful example of, of how to be with grief. Acceptance is a big part of it, but what, what I take from what you've just shared is, is finding a way to be with it. You know, and and whatever way that is, you know, whether it's curling up in a ball, whether it's going for a walk in nature, whether it's being around friends or family. You know, my wife or ex now, she her father passed away about fourteen years ago, and she shared recently that little things remind her of her father, and that enables her to be with her grief, like just the smell of smoke from an old car. You know, like Bob Marley songs and in line with what you've just shared, I, I think it's really important that we, we find ways to actually be with our grief and, and honour it. And what you've just shared and what, what my ex shared, I, I think is it, you know. Like, it also helps to honour the person as well that you totally. love so much that it, yep. you know, it hurts, for sure it hurts, yep. but that you love them so much that it does hurt. Yeah. And that's almost a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah, no, it is. I think, like we, I honestly believe we as humans are learnt to, are meant to learn how to grieve. It's a part of the cycle of life and absolutely um, applaud anyone that looks at it and finds a way to be with it because I honestly believe it's part part of what we're meant to yeah. you know, be with in our, yeah. in our lives. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. I mean, we could talk about this for hours probably, but yeah. It's it, it part of you, like I know with me, part of me felt like this is unbearable. I can't bear this because my dad was, has been and was since I was little, very solid, stable. And I feel so connected to him that I'm, it's almost that small child part of me that's really scared to let go of him. Yeah. But then I try and think of adult me that I'll be, you know, I'm okay and I've got this and, you know, does that. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I, yeah, I love the way you put that. And I think within that, itself like the process for us or the approach for us is is to parent that small child and for it's uh, you know that's that's our own growing and and maturing that's happening within that and you you soothing the small child in you that is frightened of not having your father around and a bit like um, when when we lose a partner sort of soothing the romantic in us or soothing the you know the the younger part of us that that really loved just having someone nearby and Again, that's part, for me, that's part of the maturing process. Yeah. There's so many parts of us that show up at different times, isn't there, that different parts of us need soothing for different things. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that, that probably is for another podcast. <laughs> now, this was an interesting one. This one came through, I think it was Denise, and she said, 
so she's she's actually joining my challenge. She's starting in July and she's had a few weeks off. But now she's wondering coming up to starting the challenge, should she have a big shebang? (laughs) (laughs) The weekend of just getting written off, annihilated. (laughs) And so my response, of course, was it's an individual choice. It's up to you. (laughs) I certainly did that. I knew my start date and I had, you know, a big, which is actually a real fizzer in the end anyway. Um, Likewise. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about the importance of going out with a bang? Oh, look! I'd, if you want to go for it, yeah, yeah I, I <laughs> um, you know, like it's a pretty big commitment that that you're working towards to quit. So you're stepping into a different life, so it requires a fair bit of energy and a fair bit of effort. So, I look. I remember stopping the night before I stopped. I went to a treatment center. I had a, I think, a bottle of port and a big bag of cocaine, and <laughs> it didn't even touch the sides, you know. Really? Like, yeah. and uh, for me, I'm kind of glad I did that because it reminded me of just how shit it had gotten, and yeah. and how little joy I was getting from the whole process. And, yeah. And when when with this person's asking the question, I kind of go, yeah, go for it because you're going to feel pretty ordinary afterwards, yeah. and that'll be a good reminder of what you're what you're not having to go through. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. I know with our last night, it was New Year's Eve, and because I'd been knowing for some time that that was, that was it, there was this big build-up to this night. It was going to, you know, it was going to be huge, and, and Scott and Claire and Lisa and all these people who were all doing this, starting the challenge with, were all there. And I remember, though, thinking it was almost as though I was forcing myself to drink because mm. I'd got it so much into my head that the drinking, I was so over it, and I was so looking forward to having the 12 months off that... None of us really, the night was, like I said, it was a fizzer. We were kind of all sort of sitting around drinking, waiting for what, I don't fucking know. Mm. And then in the end I was just like, oh, I'm over it. And mm. we had our last one at 12 o'clock and that was it. Weird. Well, I, I actually <laughs> think that's like not a bad thing because dependent drinking or is, is like that Groundhog Day, you know, like and it's not a bad reminder. It's not a bad way to go out. You know, with just a reminder of it's kind of dull and it's a bit anticlimactical or whatever the term is. Yeah, and yeah. F- for me, like Groundhog Day, yeah. it doesn't change. Yeah. I remember waking up to the next morning feeling pretty shitty because we'd drunk all day kind of thing and thinking, thank God I don't have to feel like this for another 12 months. Mm. Like that's it. And, mm. and I knew it too. I knew that was that was it. So, yeah. I think probably what's important to – the note here is if you've been on a three-day, say, say for example, you're going on a pretty big bender, um, I'd be making sure you have good food, good hydration, and um, yeah, just to be looking after yourself from a physical perspective post that, like, because it's going to be, if you're drinking pretty solidly leading up to stopping, it's an absolute shock to your system. And physically speaking, um, and, and from a health perspective, you just need to be a bit mindful about that change. Put your sensible shoes on when you... Yeah, when you stop. Yeah, <laughs> make make sure Yeah, you're eating well, you're yeah. sleeping, yeah. you need a bit of help to sleep, um, so be it. Yeah, you know. and the other thing is I think if you're going to go out with a bang to try and be mindful of it too, like yeah. try and think about, you know, what you're doing, how it's feeling in your body, Yeah, you know, be quite mindful yeah. maybe rather than just blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, but also if you've already a few months in, I, I would say don't go and get smashed just because you're going to join the challenge or, you know, like unless you really feel like you need to. But 
Yeah, stay I'll, on the course if you're on course. Well, I think yeah, it's a good point. I I think people have stopped and they've seen the benefits from stopping. I, I'd really lean into those benefits and trust them um, because the, the, you've put in the good hard work already, and and don't don't lose that that ground you've made. And so yeah, I I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, that's great. Now this is a great question. Someone emailed this through and saying relapse. So, and I noticed this myself. So when you've had a few months off drinking and then you go back to start drinking again, it seems that often you drink much more. I know when I would have time off and then I'd start drinking again, which was my reset in inverted commas, but I wasn't, I was resetting to just get myself like totally like my blackouts would be bigger you know, I would drink so much more. It was way worse. So that was the question to, from this lady. She said that she'd had a few months off, but when she'd start again, she'd drink way more. And she said, is that normal? Uh, normal. <laughs> I, I, yeah, what's normal? Yeah, yeah. it's a, a bit hard to define normal. I, 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 I Why can, is that? Yeah, I, I can certainly say that not everyone does that, but I can also say that quite a few people do that. Um so the reason for the reason why that happens lies in I think probably your thinking leading up to the relapse. And what I mean by that is how much were you obsessing about drinking leading up to a relapse? Like and a good analogy is go back to being a kid and you remember when your mum was making cakes or, or dad was making cakes in the kitchen, you know, she'd have the cake in the oven and she'd be preparing the icing you know and as a kid you're like pumped going (laughs) I can't wait for this and and then eventually like mum gets it out puts the icing on the cakes and, and you because you've been thinking about it because you've been excited about it you go absolutely nuts and make yourself sick yeah, yeah. You know, mm. and and it's kind of similar mm. on an alcohol front when we're leading up to a re- relapse, we're, we're obsessing over it and you're probably not aware that you're obsessing over it, but um, what I find when I talk to people about the lead up to a relapse, they've been planning it, they've been thinking about who they, who they can avoid in order to have the relapse, they, they've been thinking about who they might go and visit to have the relapse with, what they're going to drink, what they're going to take with the booze, um, for how long they're going to go for. So that's that's the answer to the question as to why we just go bananas, you know. Like it's, be- it's because of the obsession leading up to it. It's so true. We used to do this thing <laughs> for ages. This was years and years ago before we even had Sunny where we'd have a month off and we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't drink at all wouldn't eat any bad food you know it was all very strict and then we'd have much as you like day <laughs> oh yeah 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 right and much as you like day was revolting it was just like <laughs> <laughs> like you know i remember having like chicken twisties and like it was like and i'm fairly healthy person but much as you like day was so just and like would drink oh my god and the next day you'd feel so sick and then you'd do another month and then much as you like day again and then much as you like days started to happen twice a month or, you know, it just was like ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, I think that's true because you'd obsess that whole time waiting for much as you like day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like you flick the switch and, and uh, impulse control goes out the window. So you're just like more, I just want to go. And, and on some level we kind of revert back to the level of control we had as kids and it's just more, more, more and 
And I think another way to look at it too, I think that's the primary driver of why we we go so hard and make such a do so much damage when we when we do relapse. But another way to look at it, if we look at the structure of your personality, that like you you one part of all of us that struggle with substances is, is an addict or an alcoholic. And um and and don't get me wrong, not I'm not labeling everyone as as that, but as a part of our personality that really likes substances. Um, and alcohol and when we step away from that when we kind of distance ourselves from it and we have time off if we're not treating that part of our personality with other stuff and what all I mean by that is is we're not doing creative things we're not stepping into sport we're not stepping into mindfulness that's how we treat our addict um, it gets angry so in a similar sort of analogy, it's, it's like a, a child that hasn't been fed for a week, you know, like, and it's been told to go to its room and be quiet. And when it's finally let out, it's, it's angry. And so the addict part of us um, just plows into whatever it's in, whatever's in front of it. I think that's why the white knuckling it, you know, when you just go, right, that's it. I'm not drinking and don't do the other stuff on you, the work on yourself. That's doesn't awful. last. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't last. You got to do the work, peeps. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no way around it. No, and I, I do, and I, for me, it's 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 part of the chain. You know, like it's just finding other things to do with your time. Yeah, and I was saying to someone the other day, like with the journaling and everything like that. Or just say it on the podcast, whoever I said it to, that if you make the like, say you're doing a gratitude practice or doing a mindfulness practice, if you start to look at that as though, oh, that's like homework rather than seeing it as a gift that you're giving yourself, then it becomes a real chore and then you don't want to do it. But if you change that mindset into this is a beautiful thing I'm doing for myself and taking this time to for myself to honour myself, um, it's, a, it's a shift in mindset. Yeah. Uh, look, and I think you're tapping, it's interesting you bring that up because I think a good question to ask ourselves is why do I see it as a chore? Yep. Yeah, why is honouring myself a chore? Yeah, yes. and oh, and I, yes, ben. I was yes. I was chatting to a chap yesterday, and uh, he he reflected that to me. He's like, oh, you, you know, like I haven't done there's these all these good things for me, but but I kind of deprioritize them and and end up just diving into work. You know, like as he really loves his work, and like the answer and, and where we ended up with that discussion, and I think it, it applies quite broadly um, as to why people don't do these things that are self classed as self-care is we've grown up with these expectations that we need to do x and y okay and x and y often are work hard earn good money be the best at what i'm doing you know like they're, they're quite often driven by society's expectations of us and when we remove alcohol from the picture and um, we often slip back into having X and Y as our goals. It's like, okay, that's – and the reason why we slip back into it is because is it's old. It's what we know. And the folly of that, though, unfortunately, is that the X and Y aren't really our true goals. You know, like the, the, they're, they're goals that we think we've needed to achieve in order to be happy or in order to be successful. And – Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And, and I actually think what's missing is Z, you know, and so we don't need necessarily need to stop working. I'm, I'm not saying that by any stretch, but um, we need X and Y and Z and Z is the self-care, you know, like Z is making our lives less two-dimensional and more three-dimensional. And I, I'm a big fan of people experimenting with Z, okay? Like, and what I mean by that is try a bunch of different things. You know, like meditation is not for everybody, you know, like um, yoga is not for everybody, but, but it's really key that people do something that enables them to connect with their bodies. It's really key that people do the self-reflection activities that you were just referring to before. I think it's also really key. Um, one thing that drives a lot of people's restlessness and sense of discontent is their thinking. Like it's quite a cognitive trouble or concern that people have. And so having a look at your thinking, like mapping out, that like, okay, I'm having these negative thoughts or I'm going into victim or uh, I'm going to blame, um, for example, um, you know, that they don't work, um, th- that line of thinking for us. So part of Z is, is really to address some of the patterns of thought that you've had in the past. And, and that's why gratitude, as you mentioned before, is so powerful because it's creating another route for our thoughts to follow or another path for our thoughts to follow that that's growing you know or mm. having a thrive and starting to grow so yeah 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 totally yeah i totally agree the other thing is i find that when people aren't wanting to do the the work on themselves i think that's a pattern and it can even be a pattern in childhood like there's one lady i'm have been coaching at the moment and she was saying when she gets stressed you know, her reward is to drink. And then we, we talked a lot about some childhood stuff that came up and that it turns out, you know, mum and dad were fighting all the time when she was little. And so I asked her, what did you, what would you do when they were fighting to, you know, to soothe yourself? And she said, well, I'd go into my room, shut the door and turn the music up really loud to sort of drown it out, to escape it. And so fast forward into adulthood when life's getting stressful, I guess, rather than turning the music up really loud to drown it out, we're drinking to try and drown it out and to suppress push down those feelings so it's almost like it's a pattern well to me I see it as a pattern from childhood a way that we coped or survived or or the way we made things bearable as a child then doing it in the same kind of the same kind of pattern in adulthood so rather than to as a child to speak up and say hey this you know this isn't working for me this is hurting me this you're frightening me I'm scared I'm sad as an adult, rather than speak up and honour ourselves again, not speak up, but to be present and be with ourselves, we're still just drowning things out. We're still 
you know, relying on that old pattern. Yeah, yeah. And then look at... Uh, Which works for a time, doesn't it? It works. That's protective. Served- yeah, it's protective. Like, and, and we, one of the, the greatest things we do in our lives is learn how to protect ourselves, you know, like, and we survive, you know, and unfortunately, and a lot of this links to attachment theory, what you were mentioning there before. Like, so we learn our, our strategies for protection from our relationships with our, with our primary caregivers. And look, I think, I think with someone that does, that is a bit resistant or goes into what, what I would class as avoidance, then uh, it's just, a, well, not just, it's a matter of introducing them to emotions. Like you just step through it slowly. Like it's a matter of going through the various emotions that the person experiences. I, I usually have a standard eight, eight set of eight emotions, eight basic emotions. And um, what that, are they? <laughs> Put you on the spot. Yeah, you have. <laughs> Pride, anger, joy, love, loneliness, fear. Did I say shame? No, shame, sadness. What for me it's really vital that people learn uh, and come to understand, well, firstly come to understand the, those eight emotions and then learn how to feel them and then and as part of feeling them, which is just going, all right, this is what triggers it and this is where it comes up in my body and um, understanding what drives, because some people will have specific cognitions or thoughts that drive fear, for example. And so understand the thoughts associated with the emotion and then coming defining coping strategy. So quite often... You know, with fear, I'll talk to someone about it. I'll write it down. Yeah, or or I'll sit with it and kind of go, is this is this real? This fear, or or you know, and sometimes it is. Other times it's not. So, I think for for people that that are resistant to the work, it's really important that you kind of just gently step them through uh, and and introduce them to emotions, introduce them them to their thoughts, um, and then explain to them how those two thoughts and emotions impact their behaviours. We're we're now conditioned ourselves to push down any you know those negative emotions with alcohol. So I guess it's stepping into once we remove the alcohol, you know what do those emotions feel like? Like you say, where is it sitting in my body? Really focusing on it. Yeah, I was lucky enough. I joined a, this Gabal Mate um, compassionate inquiry online event. It went for four four days in May, and I got to have a one on one with him which was amazing. I couldn't even believe my luck. I was just like, how the hell? Fantastic. Amazing. So in, in it, I was asking him about this knot I was getting in my stomach and it was a, a bit to do with childhood stuff that was coming out. I was feeling a bit triggered um, with stuff going on with dad and, and my mum maybe using again. Anyway, so I get this knot in my stomach and it happens any time I get a little bit confronted with things or feeling uncomfortable. Big knot in my stomach, my face goes red. I just feel really off. And he said to me, and I said, how do I get rid of it? And Gabor said to me, why do you want to get rid of it? Because I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. And he said, but it's a part of you and it wants attention and it's asking you to give it attention. This is in a long, drawn-out way. It took him a while to get me there. But he said, you know, why, why run from it? Sit with it, acknowledge it, feel it in your body and give it the attention that it wants. It was amazing. And so that's what I've been doing since then. If I get that feeling, I really sit with it and, really really focus on it and mm. then just let it be don't judge it don't you know just let it accept it mm. and it kind of goes oh it was so cool 
It is cool, yeah. you know, like, and I can see the the glee on your face. It's, oh. <laughs> look, I'd, yeah. and and I look, I'd, I've seen it before in treatment centres when people come and and live on at a facility for a month or six weeks, and they go through a really harsh couple of days emotionally, and they and they come out the other side. And during that those harsh couple of days, we've we've been working with them to help employ strategies to soothe their emotions and. When they pop out the other side with the knowledge that they can actually be with their emotions, they've just what I see on their faces is utter pride and and a bit of glee. And and I, at the end of the day, that's 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 the aim. The aim is to be with what is, to, to be with our emotions, and to 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 start to develop the confidence that you you know. And it takes a bit of work, but to start to develop the confidence that. That you can process your emotions. You can. I just had a little aha moment there. Just that being with what is. Mm. That's a really beautiful. I love that. Just being with what is. Yeah. Beautiful, Ben. Um, okay. Now I've got another question from Greg, the booze free dad, who's been on this podcast before. He's an absolute legend. I'm just going to read this out. Um, a talking point for Ben. The mountain to go booze free is, is a big one to climb. When you get to the top, what next? Personally, I've reached a point where I'm I'm incredibly comfortable with it and I own it. Living life alcohol-free is who I am, yet at various times I feel stuck in a a spot of what next. Can you please ask Ben to talk on how we embrace or avoid the feelings of what next or strategies to work through it? Yeah, awesome question. This is really common. People people get to a point where... They've done the hard, really hard work, and that that is the hard work up front is is kind of stopping and and, and changing our patterns of behaviour uh, around alcohol. I think this ties back into the Z, you know, um, and um, so there's a few things. What well, what often people drink, like I'll I'll go back a little bit, go back to the drivers of why you drank, okay, and often like. Common, the most common driver for me is people disconnecting from themselves because they can't sit with themselves. And there's a difference between being comfortable with sobriety and a big difference between being comfortable with sobriety and being able to sit with yourself, okay? And so for me, I, like I always go back to why did you drink and, how, and now that you've stopped, are you comfortable that you've addressed all the drivers of your drinking? You know, and one of, often one of them is not being able to sit with yourself. Another one is not being able to process emotions. Another one might be my identity is tied up in, in alcohol. And um, if we just use those three examples, as like my, my next question is, Greg, what does your Z look like? As in, what do you do for self-care? Because we all work, you know, most of us need to work. Um, and that's kind of X and Y for me. And But for Z... It's like, what do I do to connect with myself? Do I do I get out in nature? Do what do I do for fun? You know, like, am I catching up with other men or other women um, in in order to connect on a slightly deeper level? So, so have a look at your activities in connection with yourself. Have a look at your activities in connection with other people. You know, and I think as well a big a big part of Z for me is um, creativity. You know, what do you, what do you, you know, don't get me wrong, not everyone's going to be an artist, but what are you doing that allows you to step into your imagination? I, I, I honestly believe that everyone that ends up, ends up with some sort of dependence on substances does have a, a pretty big creative streak in them. And it doesn't, 
it doesn't have to be one of the more formal arts, um, but at, what do you do where you absorb yourself into an activity and you just feel a little bit lost in it in a healthy way? You know, like um, a mate of mine's a boat builder, just loves it, you know, like and, and just gets lost in it. Um, other friends are surfboard builders, like whatever, musicians, whatever it is. And um, so for me, like it's really important if you're at that point, like what next? explore what you're doing just to cover off the the other two bits the like uh, how are you what are you doing to soothe your emotions and what does your identity look like in terms of learning to to soothe your emotions uh get it get a bit of help with that you know like we don't just learn that it's it's i don't believe it's an innate thing i think it's something that we need assistance with and you can just do a google search if you want like how to soothe my emotions there's so much literature out there or you might go and pay a therapist for a for a couple of sessions to help you with it. Like whatever works, but my advice for people, anyone that has used alcohol in the past is going to have troubles with soothing emotions and I, I really think that's part of the next step. Yeah. And then the final piece is, is your identity. You know, like um, people, you know, we drink for 20 years or so, like and it's not always problematic, but particularly in Australian culture, it's like our identity is tied up in um, in drinking. and um, So I really encourage people to go back and explore their identity, you know, like what are the parts of your personality, you know, like um, there's Enneagrams, there's all sorts of ways to explore it. Like I'm, I'm more down the path of, of internal family systems or voice dialogue, but where you specifically define parts um, and then you make sure you go into those parts on, on a regular basis to, to really enjoy the, mm. the complexity of your personality. Um, we do have so many parts that, like I was saying before too. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm interested in that IFS, the yeah. internal family systems. Yeah. Jeannie um, O'Carroll as well. Yeah. She's been... We've been talking about that a lot. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, and I, I actually think most adults have between 15 and 20 parts, you know, like there's a lot. And, um, you know, like I'm working with a teenage girl at the moment and, and she, you know, she's got 12 at 14, you know, like and they're, they're part of the next steps, you know. like mm. it's, you How do you identify your parts, would you say? It's uh, a good question. <laughs> I when when I'm working with someone, there's always no matter who I'm working with, everyone's got a critic. Everyone, um, you, you, you're asking a slightly different question there. Sorry. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, so, how do you identify your parts? Usually, it's a process of sitting down and just naming groups or chunks of behaviours. So, so say for example. Some per, a person will spend a lot of time criticizing themselves. That's a part, the critic. Um, other times, the person will spend a lot of time worrying about how good, how well they've done something. Um, so they've got a perfectionist in them. Okay, that's another part. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a strong possibility you've spent quite a bit of time drinking. Um, so that that's another part. Your your alcohol. Your let's call it the alcoholic. Okay, it might you might not be one, but let's call it that for for the sake of the discussion. So. The way you identify it is is to kind of clump your behaviours together, you know. It's so – because it is interesting. It's like, you know, and you've got your child part, then you've got your part where you're a sister, you know, or a brother or a son or a mother. Yeah. You know, there's totally, all these different yeah. hats that we wear. And, totally, yeah. yeah. Yep, like so a lot of people have an adventurous part. So they love nature, they love surfing, whatever it might be, dirt bike riding. 
Um, a lot, lot of people in Australia love going camping. Or there's there's another part and getting those parts to all work in sync and work together. Yeah, well, rather than against each other. True, true, mm. and I and I think with with that piece of work, what we've got to do first and foremost is actually separate them out. You know, so I, when I'm working with clients, I'll sit down and we'll map out their parts, and then what I get people to do. Um, say someone's got 15 parts, I then give them five questions of each part that they then go away and spend a couple of weeks writing on. So they get to know each part. And the idea is, is you kind of separate them all out and map them all out and gain an understanding of each part individually. And then once you've achieved that, you then come together and, and start to work with uh, having them operate, I guess, more fluently together mm, more in unison rather awesome can i sign up to do that yeah for sure for sure <laughs> i'm booking in but look you, you hit the nail on the head before a lot of people end up in pain because they have parts that are conflicting okay so for example uh, a lot of people might have a creative side that they absolutely love but if they spend too much time in their alcoholic side the creative side doesn't get a look in yeah or you've got your help this is me I don't, I don't know if this is the same kind of thing but um, before I quit drinking, I'd have this sort of healthy Danny, yoga Danny, meditating Danny, you know, this Danny, and then there's this drunken trash bag Danny, and these parts were not working together. No. They were really – That's it. And another classic one is the critic. You know, like um, we've got a, quite a sensitive child in us. You know, that's a part. And when the critic's running riot, the sensitive child is just getting beaten up. And, um, you know, like and that's that's a classic case of when – when our parts are, are not in unison. Oh, it's such That's really powerful work. I think that's incredible. All right. Amazing. Um, Jesus is becoming a long podcast, Ben. So, okay, lastly, the last question is on, it sort of relates back to the feeling your feelings thing, but someone messaged me the other day saying that they felt triggered off one of my podcasts because it brought up a lot of stuff about uh, childhood stuff that she'd gone through um, because she knew the person that was on the podcast. And so she felt like she said, this is the first time I've really felt like drinking. Anyway, I, I ended up speaking with her and we talked about just sitting with it and, and feeling it and exactly what we we're talking about before, feeling it in your body. Where is it? And are you able to sit with it comfortably rather than try and run away with it? And for me, I think that's one of the best ways of dealing with triggers. That's what That's what I find to sit in it and sit with it. I've just done a, a blog post about this as well. If we talk a little, just talk a bit to that and, yeah. you know, again, like even though we've sort of already covered it, but, you know, and yeah. how you'd work with someone when they become. Triggered. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I, I think everybody gets triggered and a really pertinent question. Um, when, like if I'm treating someone and they've stopped or they're looking to stop. Um, when I worked in the treatment centre, we before a person left uh, the treatment centre to go back out, back home and step back into their lives, we would list out what their triggers were. So I'd advise anyone, if they're, st- if they're looking at stopping, do the work before you stop, you know, or do the work, do, list out your triggers. When I say do the work, I mean list out your triggers as you're stopping and, um, you know, for some people triggers are going past a pub and hearing the poker machines. For some, for others, it's having a conversation with their mother and their mother's triggered them, you know. Mm, like, that's or, a hard one because you see your mother a lot yeah, she's yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, it is and it's pretty common. Um, 
Uh, for others, it, it might be feeling uh, hopeless when they're parenting their children um, and um, just being not feeling in control. Um, so th- th- there are many, they're varied triggers, they're many and varied. And what's key is that you list them out. Just, just do a bit of the groundwork, you list them out, and then as you're listing them out, name the emotions that, that, that you think will come up as a result of that trigger. Um, so, for example, with the, the lady that's written in on this one, um, I'd be, you know, if it's, if it's fear that's come up or shame that's come up or it could be anger, um, you, you, you name the emotion, you stipulate it, put it down right beside the trigger. And then what we do is define a coping strategy or, or coping strategy. Um, and again, that's, this is the, the actual strategies themselves aren't complicated. But based on the trigger, you're going to, going to have a specific coping strategy that, that will work. For, so, for example, for some people, when anger comes up, a coping strategy is to jump in the car and scream. You know, and that's going to be a very different coping strategy to when fear comes up which is going to be something more along the lines of needing to connect with someone and soothe the fear or connect with yourself and soothe the fear. So um, that's, you, you know, like, and I think this question speaks more broadly to the concept of how do we regulate ourselves, you know, like, and I won't go into it in great detail now, um, but uh, what's like a piece of work that's pretty key for us all um, is to understand what dysregulates us. You know, and what I mean by dysregulated is, uh, and a good way to break up or define dysregulation is what does it look like in your mind when you're dysregulated? You know, jumbled thoughts, blooded, uh, like blood, bloody hot thoughts when, when we're in raid. Um, how does it feel emotionally when you're dysregulated? So some people will, will go into really chronic anxiety and panic. So, so there's specific emotional indicators of being dysregulated. Physiologically, what does it look like? So when people go into raid, for example, um, they, 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 they talk about just feeling absolutely hot in their heads and um, like really rigid in their bodies and anxiety like chronic anxiety or panic for example has has a different presentation physiologically you know like heart palpitations and so there's the physical side and then the fourth component of dysregulation is what behaviors do you go into you know I was, I was talking to a chap yesterday and he said I just couldn't get out of the house so I you know like I wanted to do one thing and I'd get halfway through that thing and I'd move on to something else and he was really dysregulated so behaviorally the indicator was I couldn't finish anything and so, as I said, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's not a straightforward answer, this. Like, and I think learning what dysregulates you in those four areas, um, we then start defining what we can do to, to help regulate ourselves. And this, all this stuff falls into the Z, you know, like, and, and, you know, is a much bigger discussion. Yeah, amazing, which... Can I get you back on for that? Sure, sure. <laughs> we'll do a, an episode on dysregulation because that sounds really fascinating. Yep. And I can so relate to that, like that feeling of feeling dysregulated often, mm. you know, just when your head's starting to get a bit crazy and a bit busy and, yeah, I can even relate to that feeling of jumping from one thing to the other sometimes, which I do try and not do, but, yeah. yeah. So that would be fa- – I would love to talk more about that yeah. at some stage. So congratulations on starting your own private practice, which Thank is amazing. You. And 
I would, I know I've sent quite a few people your way, but if anyone wants to book in a session with you, um, I'll put the, the details on how to get in contact on the show notes. Thank you. What is your website? Do you? Yeah, thanks, Danny. It's uh, www.benschillerpsychology.com.au. S-C-H-I-L-L-E-R. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, Ben. You are so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you for your time, for coming on and, and sharing with us today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.